Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. It's a real pleasure to be here with all of you. Um, So some of you were here, how many of you were here this morning? That's crazy. You guys are really saved. I mean, (laughs) church twice? I mean, you're really banking on this, you know, this whole, (laughs) that's fun. So uh, when, when you meet someone, you may not say this phrase, but you, you might, uh, at least in America, sometimes we'll say this, or I might think it, or I might ask it to someone I know about another person. I'll say, so what's your story? Or I might say to my wife about someone, and it's like, what's his story, or what's her story? Um, and, and when we ask the question, you know, what's your story, we're typically wondering things like, you know, where are they born? Where are they from? Where do they go to school? What, what's their occupation? Are they married? Do they have kids? Things like that, right? And then you get to know someone and you fill in the blank. And so that's a good question. Like, what's your story? I'll learn something about you. Andrew kind of told a little bit of my story, a little bit. Uh, and, and that's important, but I think there's another answer to the question if you're asking the question, what's your story? And that's this, what is the story that's shaping your life? What's the story that you're living into? What's the story that's become the guiding principle for how you're living your life, how you frame all the big questions of life, like who is God, Uh, who am I, what's life's meaning, what's the truly good life, what were we designed for? Uh, these, are, these are big questions. Everyone has to answer the big fundament, fundamental questions of life. Everyone, you, you don't get the choice not to answer them. Uh, you can sort of avoid them and whatever, but, but they're just right there in front of everyone. And one of the really big ones is, like, what is, what is something worth giving your life to? You're given this one wild and precious life as the poet Mary Oliver said, this one wild and precious life that's your life, only you can live it. To what will you give your life, right? What, what's, what's worthy of that? Uh, one day I was coming home from work, I was driving, and uh, there was a, a guy in front of me, you might call him a bloke, in front of me, and he had this bumper sticker on his car. Do you call them bumper stickers? Oh, you guys have clever things. That's... Really? You can't do better? <laughs> I would have thought you guys would have some, something really clever to call them. Anyway, bumper sticker. So he hit the bumper sticker on his car. This is what it said. Fishing is my life. And my first thought was, he can do better, you know? <laughs> really? That's your life? Fishing. I mean, fishing's fine, you know, as a hobby, as a thing to do. I, some people, it's more than a thing to do. It's maybe as their livelihood. But uh, fishing is my life. I know what he meant. He really, really likes it. It could have been golf. It could have been sailing. It could have been something else. But any one of those things, I would say, that's too small. That's too small to say, that's my life. Because we were designed for something really, really big. We are people who love stories. We're storying creatures, so story and then apostrophe ing. We're storying creatures. We like to make stories. We love to hear stories. 
We define everything in stories. We think in stories. Narrative is how we process things. Uh, Jesus was the great storyteller. He taught almost exclusively in stories. And so that's the nature of it. Like if I begin, if I just walked up here and the very first thing I said was, once upon a time, you'd immediately know where I was going, right? Or if I said, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, <laughs> far away, you'd know that a story's coming, and that would draw you in, because we, we love stories, we are engaged by them. Uh, I don't know how it is for you, but I'll say this for myself. When I start a story, I really want to find out how it ends. Something in that. I fly a lot on airplanes to places to go travel and speak and do things. And um, quite often, I'll, I'll just watch a movie, right, on a, on a flight. And not long ago, I was flying, I don't know where, California, I don't know where I was flying, but I was flying somewhere, and I started watching this movie. And 10 minutes into the movie, my thought was this, this is terrible. Do you ever have that thought about 10 minutes into a movie? You go, this is really terrible. It's terrible on so many levels. The acting is terrible. The actors were great in the movie, by the way. I mean, the people. There was like Academy Award winners in the movie. I was going, how did they, why did they even do this? This movie's terrible. And here's the crazy thing. I kept watching. And the plane landed, and it had 15 minutes left. And no, and, and I should, I, when I got home, I went and rented the movie. And I'm sitting there going, I, I didn't like this movie from the beginning. I, the middle was terrible too. But I needed to know how it ends. Because that's the nature of our minds, the way our souls, you might even say, were designed because we want to, to know what's going to happen here. And something in us wants some kind of resolution. Maybe we'll get to that point and, and the story will make sense. I was probably hoping that was somehow this bad movie was going to get better. It didn't. Anyway, so, so that's the nature of it. So what we really want in our lives, what we long for in our lives are grand stories, really grand stories, stories that um, capture us, that draw us in, that maybe, maybe the really good ones take us somewhere. Some of the stories can help us define our understanding of reality. And that's been true of, of human culture forever. I mean, humans, before we, they could even write, before the printing press, before all that, people told stories. That's just the nature of it. That's, that's how we are. Well, when I think about stories, I think about uh, the transcendentals. And the transcendentals, that's a philosophical term, goes back to Plato. We credit Plato as with the first person to have used this language of transcendentals. And the word transcendental, break it down into transcend. So it means these are things that, that transcend. They're above. They stand above um, the physical realm, as we would say. So, so Plato was big into that. He was kind of weird because he was like, there's a chair. You're sitting in a chair. And Plato said, there's a thing called chairness the idea of a chair. And then there's the real chair, right? Same, in the same sense, there's this 
idea of beauty and goodness and truth, they stand as transcendental realities, and then they manifest themselves in concrete form. So that was philosophy 101 right there. Does that make sense? Following track, tracking the idea. There's the idea of beauty or goodness or truth, and then there it manifests itself. So that's why what Plato was saying is, is that they're so, uh, they're so important that they transcend, and, and you can't ruin them. You can't. They're, they're that powerful. Like No human can do anything to destroy the reality of these transcendentals. Beauty, goodness, and truth will exist no matter what we do. So that's why it's really important. So Plato talked about that, and I think it's important because as I un- understand what those are, I then what I want to do tonight is talk about moving that into this understanding of story. So that's where I'm going to try to go tonight. Well, let me unpack a little bit about beauty. So Thomas Aquinas, uh, one of the greatest thinkers in Christian history, wrote volumes. The Summa Theologia is one of the greatest theological treatises ever written, 15 volumes, I think it is. Massive. But Aquinas, uh, his definition of beauty is that which, when seen, pleases which is pretty simple. It's not terribly complex, but you can't beat it really because when you encounter something that's beautiful, you immediately know it. Like you, you sense something's going on within it. Now, Aquinas only uses the, the, the senses of the eyes, but you could say beauty is that which when heard, a beautiful piece of music, we just heard beautiful music, that which is when smelled or touched, um, all, all of the senses have the capacity to take in beauty. So, um, and, and beauty, if you break it down, is a form. Beauty is always going to be in, in a form. So uh, the Germans are really good with words, and they have this word gestalt. It's, it's, it's a great word because it really means it's, uh, anything is, is a number of parts that come together to create something greater. And we talk about the sum and its parts and that sort of thing. That's what gestalt means. So I have this picture of the rose. And, and you may look at the rose and say, oh, that's beautiful. In fact, most humans do. Rarely do you find a human that looks at a rose and goes, I don't like it. That's ugly. I mean, almost no one does that. Um, I suppose someone could. But what do you like about it? Well, you don't know what you like about it, but right away, right, until you really process it. But, but if you think about the gestalt of it, there's all kinds of things coming together. So you've got color and texture, integrity, proportion, clarity, all of these things come together. And then there's this form, this gestalt, that is the rose. And if you were to mar it, if I were to rip off petals and I would to make a mess of it, it wouldn't have that form. So you'd look at it and go, well, it's not as beautiful now because someone went in and ripped it up and, and marred it, right? But in the form that it is, all of these parts coming together, you would say, wow, there's something about that. Aquinas then would then go on to say that uh, if something's beautiful, it is an object of reality that can elevate humans to the infinite. And there's where you kind of get a Christian theologian taking Plato and reversing it up. So if the transcendental works its way down, beauty in the form 
becoming a reality, what Aquinas is saying is that as we encounter that, it will move us back up to the infinite. Do you see the, the motion? It's really interesting, isn't it? Now, we don't often think about that. Uh, before I go home, I'm going to go out to the Blue Mountains. Any of you done this? You must have done this, right? Because everything I Googled said you should. <laughs> so I'm doing it. And I'll, apparently I'm going to smell eucalyptus, which is a lovely thing, right? There's a, that's a kind of beauty. In. Uh, so, but when you encounter it, here's the thing. This is what's interesting about it. When you encounter beauty, you can look at it and just really focus on it like, oh, that's so beautiful. Or something, and as humans, we want to possess it, like, oh, that's a beautiful thing, I'm going to go buy it, right, or <laughs> whatever. But, the, but beauty is not meant to be ultimate, it's penultimate, meaning that it's not the last thing, it's the second to the last thing. So when you encounter beauty, like when you look at this rose, you can go, oh, that's a, be- a beautiful rose, but what it's designed to do is to say, that's a beautiful rose, praise you God. That's the movement, it's, that's how it's supposed to happen is when we encounter beauty, it's to move us. And that's what Aquinas is saying. And when we encounter beauty, we tend to say, wow. Beauty has the power to stop us in our tracks, which is a wonderful thing about its quality. It can stop us. I bet everybody in this room has been, been stopped by beauty. You're somewhere, you're, your mind's somewhere else, and you turn and there's this sunset, and you just cut, whoa. It just kind of hits you, doesn't it? And you think, oh, wow, where was I before? I don't know. So that's beauty. That's one of the three transcendentals. And then goodness, goodness, I'm just going off of Aquinas. Aquinas didn't say this, so I'm just taking his, his grammar and his cadence and language. If, if beauty is that which when seen pleases, goodness is that which when encountered benefits. Benefits. So the Latin word bene means good. It's good for you. Beneficial. So when, when you encounter a good, it is beneficial to you. It somehow enhances you. It nourishes you. It, it makes you better. That's what goodness is designed to do. It's desi- you, are, you were designed for it. When you experience goodness, you're enhanced by it. And so a goodness is encountered usually in the form of something that is specifically designed to benefit you. So it might be you have some, maybe it's a meal, or um, it's some kind of an experience that when you're, when you're done with it, you think, I'm better for this. And certainly within human relations, so in my little picture there, you can see someone helping someone else. And when you encounter that, uh, you instinctively know that something really wonderful is happening. And we tell stories about it. And occasionally people will post things um, on the internet. And maybe it's in a feed or something or a Facebook post or something. You'll see some incredible thing where a person does a good thing for another person. And it's a wonderful thing. There was in in the United States, there was a a really big uh, softball tournament. You guys have baseball? You have baseball and softball? Yeah, yeah? Okay. What? You went like that. What's that mean? Not really. Okay, well, this is going to be a terrible illustration. Um, you do in school? Adrian, you can leave now. 
That's enough out of you, young man. Anyway, well, okay, think cricket then, because they're similar. So someone hits a bat with a ball with a bat and tries to run places. That's the point. Well, here's my story. It's all it's going south now, isn't it? Anyway, this so this this girl, this there's a college competition. She she hits this um, he sits a, for us, it's a home run. She hits it out of the park, right? And she's going around, and she, um, like, breaks her ankle running around the bases because she sprints, she doesn't know what's going, and goes out. She breaks her ankle, and she's down on the ground. And um, so it's illegal for the other, for her teammates to do anything about it. The other team, three players from the other team, pick her up and carry her to uh, the other bases into, to, for her to score, Look, a bunch of you are smiling, and some of you are going, oh. Because that's a good thing, right? It was something we know it. You, just, you know it when you see it. So goodness is something that we, when we see it, we say thank you. I mean, that's what, that's what this young woman said to these other, her up, they were her opponents, right? But she said thank you, right? And then there's truth, the third of the transcendentals. And truth is, is that which, when relied upon, works, Truth is, is, is that which when we, we are, um, we utilize truth all the time, and it works. You can, you can count on it. That's why I like that second definition, truth, is that which you can count on. And that's really important because we have to have truth to navigate our lives. Truth, certainly in human relationships, within communication, we don't like to be lied to. That fractures human relationships. You have to have truth there. But there's truth in every aspect of life. Um, when I, I, I recently had went to, to my dentist, and I was just a little bit cocky because I was really proud of my, my dental care. I'd done really well. I'd been flossing twice a day. Yeah, wow. Wait a minute. Why did you say wow? That's overdoing it a bit, isn't it? You know, I was doing well. And I got in there, and I was so proud, and, and, uh, and my dentist said, well, I said, pretty good, huh, doc? He's like, yeah, except there's a crack on the back of your, one of your teeth. And I went, that's not good news. He said, yeah, no, you're going to have to have a crown. That got worse, right? I thought maybe just a filling. No, crown. But here's the thing. I don't want my dentist guessing. I don't want him to be nice, even. I, wanted, I want my dentist to be operating within truth, to say, here's what I see, that's cracked. What's going to happen? Well, it's going to cause you all kinds of problems. What can we do? We can give you a crown, and the crowns. And then he said this, which I thought was a little bit discouraging. He said, the crown will live longer than you. <laughs> this, this mortality just comes right in. Well, put that thing on me that's going to outlive me. It's, let's do it, Doc. No. So truth is that which you can count on, right? And you want that. We need that. And when we encounter truth, we say, yes, that really works. And we want that to happen in life. I want the people building bridges to be working with truth. I want the pilot flying my airplane to be working with the truth. I don't want them sort of being postmodern and subjective. I'm just going to feel my way. No. <laughs> you need to really fly us with truth. All the principles, Bernoulli's theorem and we'll have a good time. So the transcendentals of beauty and goodness and truth are fundamental to life. There's no, that's why Plato could say they're transcendental. There's nothing, you can't get around them. Even in post-modernity, which is where we're swimming now, 
where people are like, everything's subjective. Nothing's really, there's no beauty, there's no goodness, there's no truth. It's all a construct. Well, no. <laughs> You're wrong. Postmodernists. Uh, it was funny, I was, I was in a, I'm a faculty, I'm a college professor, and I was in this faculty meeting, and this heated debate started happening. And someone said to this other <laughs> faculty member, this is a hilarious exchange. I've done, I, don't, I don't know why I'm, I'm digressing right now. Anyway, so, but he, he said, one, one faculty member said to this other faculty member, he said, well, come on, I mean, I mean, it's true. Don't you believe in the truth? And this other faculty member said, I'm a postmodernist. I don't believe in the truth. And the other faculty member said back to him, well, you believe in the truth of postmodernity. That was a lot funnier to me than, than you guys. I really cracked up because I thought, what a, what a zinger. Because it's right, right? Someone said, I'm a postmodernist and I believe in truth. Well, you believe in postmodernity. So we got to have something to believe in. All right. So the word indelible here. These transcendentals are woven into the heart of every person, into our souls. You can't argue them out of existence. They're there. You can try to mar them and ruin them and break them down and all that stuff. It, it, it doesn't work. At the end of the day, we long for beauty and we're repelled by ugliness. At the end of the day, we long for goodness and we are abhorred by evil. At the end of the day, we know that we really long for truth and when there's deception, we can't abide it, right? So Plato, maybe not right about everything, but I think he had that one right. Now, you can say, well, Plato said it. Did anybody else? What did Jesus think? Well, here's what I think. I think that... Jesus fully understood the transcendentals. I mean, he created the universe, so he, he created Plato, so he knew it. Uh, but everything that we say about our story, which is the Christ event, obviously the Hebrew scriptures, the old, what we call the Old Testament leading up to finding its resolution in the person of Jesus, fits the transcendentals. It absolutely fits the transcendentals. Um, and, and it's going to fit all of the stories that we love, to be sure, uh, the stories that really help and shape and define us. Because what we love in stories are when we see good versus evil, we want good to win. And if, and if the good guys are losing, we're like, well, this is not right. When the bad guys seem to be winning, don't you just go, come on, go to Especially if it's like a TV thing and there's an episode and the bad guys are winning. You're like, we got to binge. Let's go to the next one. Because I can't have that stop. But even things like companionship, uh, friendship, romance, we see the, you see the transcendentals in them. When you see someone um, being courageous, stories of real courage, um, journey and mission, people are on a way to something, and it's really quite astounding. And so I, I'm going to ask this, and this could go badly, but I'm going to do it anyway. So like, what, what, are, what are your favorite films? What are your favorite movies? Movies that... Uh, you think, that one, that one's in my top three or four. Anyone want to share? Any, any takers? Everyone's shy, like, what's going to... Yes. Gladiator. Gladiator. That's, that's powerful, right? That film, wow. Maximus. Oh, man, and the bad guy was a bad guy. See, when those movies are really good, the bad guy's so bad that you kind of like it when he dies. You kind of feel bad a little bit, a little, little bit. 
but it's okay because they're so bad. But what a, I mean, what a story, and there's horrific stuff in the story. Okay, that's good. What else? Any other? Forrest Gump. I love Forrest Gump. Why do you love Forrest Gump? It's very encouraging. It's and what moving? Yeah, it's very moving. Forrest Gump. I love Forrest Gump. Um, I, I there 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 are movies that whenever I'm flipping through. Did you call it that when you with your TV flipping through channels? Surfing, whatever. Yeah, when I'm looking at it, I'm just like, whenever I hit Forrest Gump, I always stop. I watch, no matter where it is in the movie. Because it's so brilliant. It's, it's brilliantly done on so many levels. And it's a great story. And the, ah, so good. Okay, I gotta quit talking about Forrest Gump. What else? Gladiator, Forrest Gump. What else? Okay, I knew someone was gonna really bring it down. I was hoping an Adam Sandler movie wasn't going to get named, but it's, but it's happened. It's happened, Andrew, and the sermon is derailed, or whatever. Um, the water boy. <laughs> okay, let me say this about that, though. Okay, not going to win an Academy Award, didn't at all, on any level, for anything. Cinematography, nothing. But... There's, well, let me just ask you, why do you like it? <laughs> there it is. To laugh, or laugh, as you said. <laughs> because that's also woven into the human person. Laughter, when we can laugh, we have, we have stepped into the transcendental. Because all of the, the misery and... and difficulty of life, it just lifts you out of it. And that's not just escapism. There's really something quite beautiful about laughter. And sometimes I think we ought to do a lot better in the church about it. We don't, sometimes we're like, don't even laugh as Christians. Don't be too, uh, God invented laughter. It's his idea. It's a beautiful thing. And it's no shock that actually, if you laugh, it's good for your health. I mean, they've done all these studies in hospitals, like having people with illnesses watching movies that make them laugh, and they get better faster, right? So it's good for you. So back to one of the transcendentals. Laughter and, and humor is good. Well, we could go on naming them, and, but in some form or another, you're going to see the transcendentals uh, within it. And the reason that I say that is because we were designed for a big story, a massive story. And that's because we have massive souls. You have, you have a massive soul. It's much bigger than your body. Your soul is far-reaching. Your soul is something that uh, is impacting people far beyond your bodies. And uh, it's, 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 it's embedded into people that you love, even if they're thousands of miles away. Your soul is this big, massive thing that God has given you. And your soul was meant for a massive story. It was meant to be connected to something far bigger and greater than you could imagine. And the greatest story that's happening in this universe is this divine conspiracy called life in the kingdom of God. 
which is an interactive life with Jesus now. In everything that we're doing. And it, the Christ event is an incredible story. The Christ event, and when I say Christ event, I'm, I'm really talking about what we would call the, the birth and life, death and resurrection of Jesus. That story is the greatest story the world has ever heard. And it's filled with all of the transcendentals. It's a beautiful story. The Christ form, the theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar said, the Christ form, Jesus himself, is the most beautiful thing the universe has ever seen. Unsurpassed beauty, the person of Jesus. Even those who are atheists that despise Christianity don't know what to do with Jesus. There's a, a very popular comedian and, and television host in the United States named Bill Maher. Bill Maher is very popular, huge audience, huge following. He's an atheist, avowed, hates Christianity, hates religion in general, but really doesn't like Christianity. Like Christianity is his, I mean, he goes after it all the time. He did a documentary called Religious, or, or um, what's it called? I mean, no, he's a... Uh, Anyway, he, he did this documentary that make, makes fun of religion, but he, he particularly makes fun of Christianity. But I was listening to him on NPR. It's a radio program. I was driving home. I'm listening to this thing, and he was, he was being interviewed. Bill Maher was being interviewed. And um, religious, religious list, that's, that's what it is. So anyway, but he was talking about his documentary, and he was, he was just trashing Christianity, making fun of Christians, making fun of the church, all the stuff we're doing. And you could tell that the interview was even getting tired of it. The interview was just going. And, it, and you could hear in her voice when she finally just said, Bill, is there anything you like about Christianity? You know what he said? Jesus. I really love Jesus. And I about had to pull my car off the road. <laughs> because it was so stunning, you know, to think that Here's a guy who hates everything about Christianity, but he doesn't know what to do with Jesus because he sees what Balthazar would call the Christ form, and he goes, I don't know what to do with that because I see this incredible teacher, this life, everything about the story is incredibly beautiful. And certainly the Christ form and the Christ story is good. I mean, it says in, in five places within the Gospels, and Jesus went about doing good. It literally says that. He went about doing good. That's what people saw. Every single day of his existence that people were watching him, they said, that guy's doing, doing good. And no one could ever accuse him of the opposite. No one ever looked at him and said, that's really bad what he's doing. Even when he did shocking things, which was most of the time. Like, I know, I'm going to talk to a Samaritan woman who's living in an adulterous relationship. I'm going to have a chat with her by a well. Disciples were just shocked by his behavior. Rabbis don't talk to women. They don't talk to non-Jewish women. They don't talk to women who are in sinful situations. What are you doing, Rabbi? And yet we hear the story and we think, how beautiful that story is, how good that story is. And true. Everything that Jesus said is true. You can count on it. You can rely on it. 
No one's ever looked at anything that he said and refuted it. Not even Nietzsche, one of the greatest, most brilliant proponents of the faith. Dad was a Lutheran pastor, and he got horrible cancer and died, and Nietzsche just railed against God. But even Nietzsche couldn't do anything about the truth of the Christ form. Couldn't get around it. Everything that he said. What did Jesus say? Well, he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than receive. Is that true? Turns out it is. I mean, if you think right now about like the, one of the great, best gifts you've ever been given, can you think of one? Can you think of like, that was a really meaningful, thoughtful gift. I loved that, that someone gave me that gift. Can you think of something? I bet you can. Anyone want to share a, th- a gift that you were given that was meaningful, thoughtful? Like, wow, that gift was... You got a Bible. Tell me the story about that. Well, I was a non-Christian and a friend of mine gave me a Bible for Christmas. You were a non-Christian and your friend gave you a Bible for Christmas and that became a very meaningful gift to you. You started reading it. It led to going to church. It's your story. I'm just, I'm just egg and yawn. Yeah, okay. Started going to church. You, you moved into a life of faith. But that gift was very meaningful to you, right? A really significant being. Let me just ask, are you still in contact with your friend? What's your friend's name? What? Okay, Oliver. Thank you. Oh, way to Americanize it. Oliver. Not Oliver. Um, if, if Oliver <laughs> Oliver was here and I said, what did you get out of that experience? Like, if, as you look back on that, what, what, how was that for you? Do you think he was more blessed in giving it than you were receiving it? See, now you're going to have a hard time answering that. You got a lot out of it. And I, I would bet my bottom dollar that if he were here, he would say, I got so much more. And you can do that with everything that he said. So Jesus was a storyteller. He himself was the greatest story. And when he says, come, all of you who are laboring or heavy laden, come and be yoked with me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Connect your life with me. He's inviting us into a life of beauty and goodness and truth, and you can rely on it, and you can count on it, and it's going to work. No one's ever given their life to Christ and went, that was a disaster. Everyone who's really lived into it has said, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened, because that's what we were designed for. We were designed for this amazing life. And he exemplifies beauty and goodness and truth. And when we step into that, the life that we've always wanted, we'll find it there. It's there. It's there for us. We get to step into it. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. 
so that we could step into that and all of the guilt and the shame and the brokenness that keeps us from God, we can just cast it aside and come right into the arms of God. And every week, I know you here as well as in the church, my, my home church, we celebrate communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it. But we celebrate that because it, it gives symbol, it gives meaning to this invitation into this Christ life, this Christ form. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.